This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Like other types of doctors, optometrists have turned to virtual care for their patients. The question now is, will this become more of a permanent fixture in a post-COVID-19 world? And then there's also the question of what kind of process and measures will optometrists have to undertake to safely reopen their practices? Do they have enough PPE? Uh, and do you have questions about your own eye care, especially if you've had to put some of it off? There are all kinds of issues we have with our eyes as we age. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll Free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty, and now I'm joined by Dr. Joshua Smith, President of the Ontario Association of Optometrists. Hi, Dr. Smith. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Still struggling with uh, figuring out my mute button, like so many of us are in this uh, in these uh, electronic times. Okay. Well, there we go. We're uh, we're all there together. <laughs> so, do you have uh, an indication? Uh, of when uh, you will be able to gradually resume your practice in a more normal way? Uh, we're still certainly waiting for the government to indicate how how that will happen and when. Uh, we've been given some information. I think uh, it, it's all really public information about what the, the benchmarks they're looking to see before we can start uh, seeing our patients again in person. Um, and uh, we're hoping it'll be in the next few weeks. Uh, as the gentleman uh, who you just interviewed said, this may be the end of the beginning. And we're hoping that as that as that uh, comes to pass, we'll be able to, to see our patients, although obviously in a much more uh, a much different way than we did before. So, can you give me an idea of what 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 have you learned about uh, how it's going to be when you do reopen? Certainly, we're going to we're going to be uh, very restricted in the number of patients we can see per day. Um, just through the extra protocols we're going to be putting in place across the board for both patient safety, but also the safety of uh, of doctors and our staff. Um, we we need to ensure that we're not contributing to another wave of COVID uh, just by opening our our practices again. So you're going to see. Um, more uh, disinfection protocols in place, more safety protocols, masks, other forms of uh, personal protective equipment, PPE. Um, and that's not only going to be for doctors and the staff that patients are used to seeing, but actually for our patients as well. Oh, so you're going to ask patients to wear it? There's, there's certain to be certain things that for their own protection, but also for the protection of everyone else that, uh, that uh, in, enter the office that they'll be asked to wear. Um, we don't have a very clear picture of what that will be yet. We are waiting for more definitive information from the Ontario government. But you can look at other provinces like Saskatchewan, New Brunswick, Manitoba, uh, where optometrists are seeing patients again. Uh, and uh, they're doing so under very different circumstances. Patients are, are asked to wear and are wearing uh, masks, for example, whenever they're in the uh, in the office. So and just we have to, to get very close to our patients, of course. So these uh, these protective equipment uh, uh, protocols are really important. So it's it's just a, an order an ordinary mask that you pick up wherever. Um, we're still yeah we're still waiting to know what kind of there's different levels of mask. They're graded uh, one two three. 
Um, they may be like surgical masks. They could be cloth masks. We're not sure what the what the requirements will be. Um, but as soon as we're, we know uh, from the government and then from our regulator, our college, uh, we're going to know what uh, what instructions we give to patients and then also what we need to have and acquire uh, for our own practices. And it is, then there's going to be the question if you're able to acquire it, right? Mm. Yeah, the supply, I mean, I think anyone who's uh, over these last seven or eight weeks, we all know the supply of protective equipment is certainly uh, uh, certainly a challenge. Our, our uh, professional association is working very hard to make sure that our, our members, our practices actually have access um, and, uh, and are able to be fully supplied. But there is certainly a concern that uh, if there is an adequate supply, you know, you can say that these practices will be open, but if you don't have the PPE, you simply can't do it. What type of virtual care? I know that now you've been doing virtual care and in rare cases where you really have to see somebody you described. The last time we talked, this was a very pretty uh, pretty complex uh, procedure for it. But what things work well virtually in eye care? Yeah, so, you know, over these, we've learned a lot uh, to answer that question over the last seven or eight weeks. And any uh, any of your listeners who... Uh, who have had a virtual exam, even with their optometrist or maybe their family doctor, will know that uh, it's certainly a different experience. But, you know, what we've learned uh, is that urgent care is often um, accessible remotely, uh, depending on what the urgent issue is. So with something like an eye infection, uh, certain types of eye infections and other other new symptoms of vision change, they can be assessed um, through that conversation and through some simple remote tests that we can do with our patients. And I expect that to continue going forward. Um, we've our, our association uh, worked really hard, and I actually I actually finished my term as president uh, just a week ago. So now you're you're speaking with the past president okay. of the organization. But uh, w- during the last uh, weeks of my term, as COVID was ramping up, we we certainly spent a lot of time uh, working with our members about how to conduct these tests and uh, making it as seamless as possible, so that their patients felt comfortable calling them and. Uh, getting access to care even when in-person care was so difficult. I'm, I'm fascinated. So how would I get an eye exam virtually? It's, it's, so it's going to really depend. You know, the usual eye exam that you're used to where we're looking inside the eye, where we're able to measure the prescription, that sort of thing is, is still very difficult to do remotely and, and certainly not in any kind of accurate way. Um, you know, we face the same limits of technology that you see these online kind of eye tests that happen in the U.S. and there's a reason why they're they're not very uh, accurate and there's not very much uptake is the technology certainly isn't there yet. So, you know, there's certain things that we would do like uh, being able to check visual acuity or color vision. So how how the smallest print you can read, uh, your your ability to see color, those sorts of things can be done remotely uh, by sending tools or even just simple documents uh, through the, the virtual platforms to our patients. And it it's actually incredibly simple uh, when when those tests are implemented. Uh, it's just as simple as, as making the call through your computer or your phone is to your doctor. Uh, what about, uh, you know, an ordinary thing? I see optometrists are closed. If I break my glasses, uh, can I get another pair? I keep dropping them, I've got to say. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, they only survive so many falls before they before they need to be replaced. Right right now, um, we're certainly limited, as I said, to, to urgent care only. And so uh, if it's being done in person. So, you know, if you have broken glasses and you need them to see and drive, that, that's an, that could be an urgent situation where your doctor could replace them for you. 
you know, once we open a bit uh, a bit more again, we're able to kind of go back to into our offices on a regular basis. Those are the kind of things that we expect to see a lot of. I mean, there'll be a couple months of pent up demand for broken glasses that we need to address, and I expect that will be that will be uh, happening, and, and there'll be uh, protocols in place to make sure that's done safely, that everything is disinfected, that frames are are safe and disinfected, and that uh, people can get their their frames repaired and make sure they can see well. Uh, well, I mean, just as as a question, why wouldn't if 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 I already have a prescription and I pick a pair of frames online, wh- why couldn't that be done now? Is there anything uh, stopping it? Well, online glasses dispensing uh, does have its pitfalls, um, especially in terms of personal measurement. So you know, your prescription is your prescription is only one element that goes into making a pair of glasses, uh, especially if we're talking about glasses that help you see. Uh, at multiple distances, uh, so glasses like progressives or bifocals, there's a lot of measurements that go into to, to actually dispensing those those types of glasses. And uh, if those measurements are off, anyone who's ever experienced that before can tell you, you know, your prescription can be perfect, but those other measurements are off, um, the glasses aren't usable. So there are some limitations there that uh, that we're we're working as a profession to 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 figure out and to find ways to. Once, once we can see people in person again, certainly, uh, even t- using electronics and technology to take those measurements uh, accurately and safely. Dr. Smith, another thing is, you know, optometrists are small business people. And are there changes, physical changes to the space uh, that, like other small business people, are going to have to make that, that your members are thinking about now or even undertaking now? Yes, uh, there are absolutely are changes to our space. I'm, I'm always surprised to look inside my, my office and think about what it looked like just two months ago. Um, you know, people are familiar with those kind of plexiglass barriers that you see um, whenever there's really close contact going to happen, like at a grocery store checkout, for example. And some of those kind of, uh, those kind of glass, uh, plexiglass barriers have to go up to, you know, in order for people to be able to communicate safely. So, coming into my office now and you come to our reception desk, there is one of those sort of plexiglass uh, shields up so that when you come in, you can speak to the receptionist and get all the information that needs to be exchanged in a safe way. Um, so that's one example. You know, all the chairs we had in our waiting areas, those are those are pretty much gone now. Uh, and uh, people, when they come in to see their doctor going forward, are, are probably going to be... Um, uh, seeing a, a big difference in what they're used to, what they're used to experiencing in the office. Still getting the level of care that they expect uh, and the level of attention, absolutely. But um, the physical space is going to is going to feel and look different. And so, are you going to, for instance, uh, just make sure that people are coming right before their appointment? I mean, you know, what happens if you run late if there's no place for them to sit? Mm. Yeah, it's the, the the way the the scheduling is going to have to be done in a way that allows uh, you know we can't have a, a waiting room with you know twenty people in it anymore uh, sitting shoulder to shoulder. That that certainly is is a thing of the past. There has to be a way for people to come in and be be safe and feel comfortable that that they're being protected. And uh, you know scheduling is going to be a big part of that. You know we expect we're only probably going to be able to see maybe fifty percent uh, of the number of patients we saw before because of all the disinfection protocols and the scheduling changes that we'll have to make. And that, that's putting some pressure on, on practices. Like you said, we're, we're small business owners, and I'm sure many of your listeners will have heard us say before, you know, the, the lack of government funding for eye care might mean that some practices can't reopen at all or 
have to do so with limited staff and limited availability for visits. And so that's going to be a struggle and a balance that everyone's going to be going to be fighting to strike. Uh, yeah, the the other thing I'm I'm questioning uh, because uh, the last time I got some glasses, I went into a shop and. I tried on a lot of frames. <laughs> uh, is is that is that going to happen anymore? You know, I, I think the best way to know if a pair of glasses are going to or a frame is going to fit you and you're going to going to like it and like putting it on every day is is to try it on. And I think there's that experience is still going to be very important, but it might not be the same way as before. So you know, at our office, we're looking at. Uh, technology that we can use to help people virtually try on frames before, and they can eliminate the ones that are just, you know, they look good until you put them on, and then you go, oh, that's not for me. And you can try to eliminate some of those and narrow it down before you go into the office. So if if a little bit of that work is done ahead of time, you know, one-on-one with a a staff person, it might be be a lot easier to to make that final choice when you go into the office. But absolutely, I think there's uh, still strong value, and and, uh, and it's important that we're able to try on a frame and know how it's going to look and feel on our face. Well, I'm, yeah, but I'm assuming it's going to be a lot more labor intensive. You're going to have to disinfect everything your customer touches mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anytime someone tries on a frame, it will have to be disinfected uh, subsequently before anyone else can, can use it or look at it again. Um, and, and you're totally right. It's going to definitely be much more labor intensive. Um, we're buying uh, sterilization equipment now, it's it's tricky to do this, of course, when we're basically closed. Um, there's a lot of cost involved up front with getting all of these things in place, but it's it's crucially important, as I said earlier, that we don't contribute to another wave of COVID. So all of this uh, all of this equipment has to be in place, and uh, it's certainly going to change the experience. Um, but the goal is to make sure it's still done in a safe way, and that people have access to to when we're talking about trying on frames, being able to make that final choice. But yeah, absolutely. Every frame will have to be disinfected either with, uh, you know, with uh, disinfecting solutions or UV light, or there's a whole bunch of different ways to do it in a way that won't, of course, damage the frame. I was too. just going to say, you know, I don't think a Lysol wipe would be, uh, <laughs> would do good things to the frame. No, no one try that on your glasses at home, please. <laughs> okay. okay, let's take a call from Dennis in Brampton. Hi, Dennis. Hi, Libby. Thanks for taking my call, and thanks for all the healthcare experts you bring to bear on the program. You're <laughs> find welcome. It quite helpful. I've taken advantage of it in the past. Uh, my question to your guest today is: I have a cataract that is worsening, and I I was to have another exam uh, next week, actually, but that's not going to happen. And so my question to him, though, is eventually when I do get to cataract surgery, and I may look at one of the um, clinics that are out there to get it done because my fear is it's going to be a tremendous backlog. That being said, there are there are different lenses uh, that, that one can look at and uh, anywhere from no glasses at all to reading glasses only to simply correcting distance. Any, do you have any particular recommendations from your experience as to what has worked best for your patients? Sure. So, um that's a great question, Dennis. Actually, uh, that's a conversation that, you know, before COVID, I had pretty much every day, sometimes multiple times a day with different people. And, you know, you're right. There are, there are uh, several options out there for lenses uh, that you would get uh, put in after the cataracts are taken out. And it's very much dependent on the individual person. So when you have that conversation, um, you have to take a few things into account. So do you have astigmatism? Were you nearsighted to begin with or not? 
Um, were you used to reading without glasses before and just wore them for distance or maybe you wore them, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the reverse. So there's those, those types of things really matter when it comes to making a specific recommendation. So maybe I can say a couple more things. The, the lenses that are what we call multifocal lenses, the ones that, uh, help you see, you know, far and close, the, the ones that are hoping, you know, hopefully make you not have to wear glasses. Uh, at all afterwards. Those are those are great um, for specific people, for people who are well-suited to that. And that has to do with physical things like even your pupil size under different lighting conditions. Um, whether you have other eye disease like macular degeneration or glaucoma, um, those kinds of things would, would make it more difficult to have success with those kinds of lenses. Um, but as the technology has improved, you know, in the last 10 years, more and more people are getting those multifocal lenses, and there's certainly more success. But it's absolutely not a not a one size fits all yet. Very good. Thanks for your uh, your response. Okay. Thank you for your call, Dennis. Good You're luck. Welcome. Yeah, I mean, uh, these are. I, I'm sure that it's stressful for people. Like you know, all delayed surgery is stressful. Uh, mm-hmm. But this is another aspect of it. It's something that's considered elective or it can wait. And we hear that surgery is reopening in the next couple of weeks, but there's going to be a backlog and people are wondering if their eyes are deteriorating in the interim uh, of all of this because they can't, you know, it's, it's, I'm sure, you know, a big, a big stressor. For sure. You know, we, we, um, Every, every one of our patients at our, our clinic that were scheduled uh, for, you know, for this time where, where things have been closed, we've called every person and sort of had that conversation with them about how, you know, if they've had, if they have concerns and try to, to assess and try to um, sort of make sure that they're comfortable, even with the waiting of the few weeks that we've had to wait or a couple of months. And, uh, and it's challenging for a lot of people because they, they, want, they want to be able to be sure you get that reassurance from their doctor that, that things are okay. Um, and that, that's been really tough. And, you know, you say about the backlog, Libby, for sure, <laughs> when, there's, when you reopen after a closure, you want to be able to, to, to work harder, to open more hours, to see more people, uh, to sort of catch up and give everyone that, that access to that care. And that's going to be a real challenge for optometrists, but, you know, even for surgeries because of all the, the uh, limitations that we're going to have. And, and they're necessary limitations, but... It's uh, it's going to be tough to to, uh, to to try to figure out and triage all those cases that we're kind of trying to catch up with. And uh, have you canvassed your members? I, w- I was uh, previously talking to the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and throughout this, they've been saying, you know, uh, small businesses, a lot of them are not going to be able to reopen. Do you have a sense of of a percentage or anything like that, or or an ask for what optometrists need in order to make sure that they reopen. We did. Uh, we did survey our members just about a week, a week and a half ago, um, and it was. Um, it was. We knew that there was a lot of concern out there about being able to reopen and the the uh, the barriers to that. But um, all of us on our board of directors were, I think, shocked to see the the extent of that concern. There are there are a lot of members uh, of our association out there who are are concerned if they're going to be able to even open again. Uh, as your previous guest said, you know, some of them are going silently bankrupt, and that, that is a real, a real worry for everyone. Um, 
you know, the, this, we need supports in the community from, from the government to have access to personal protective equipment, to PPE. Um, all community practitioners are in that boat, and, and none of us have gotten the assurances yet that, that we're going to have access to that, and the government's going to be able to provide that to us. Um, we need clear guidance on, on, how to, um, on how to reopen and what, what measures we need to take. You know, you've heard reports of some businesses that were allowed to reopen uh, the garden centers a, a week or so ago that then were subsequently closed because of uh, because of the uh, restrictions that the government put in that were not being met. And we certainly don't want that situation to happen. We want to be able to open and do so in a safe way uh, and bring that care that people have been missing for for now almost two months. So there's uh, there's there's more. We need more information, just like everybody does, from the government, and we need more support. Um, from them in, in terms of the equipment that we need. Uh, but, you know, even the, the funding for eye care, I mentioned it earlier, you know, the government hasn't changed its funding formula for primary eye care for over 11 years now. Uh, and that's certainly uh, only being put under more acute stress because of COVID. Do you need a, are you looking for a particular support, financial support, or do, do the thing, do, do the things that they have in place for small businesses, are, are they working for optometrists as well? Well, some of the federal programs uh, that, that everyone's familiar with, those, those do help uh, for the time being. They help to sort of keep, keep a lot of practices that would have had to close permanently from, 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 from doing so and holding that decision off. But you know the the ultimately the the supports we need come from the the provincial ministry of health and the provincial government and um, you know the specific supports that they've offered they've uh, um, they've offered to loan money to practices and then recoup it later and you know it's it's kicking kicking a can down the road where you know if we don't close now we're going to be forced with that decision in a few months as we're still we're we still expect to be under some limitations from covid so no it's longer we, to repay that small business loan it's quite a it's it's longer than a few months ab- absolutely and the the time the timeline between the the loan that they're going to be uh giving back and i'm talking about a provincial program now for uh healthcare practitioners like optometrists and physicians um they're only they only will give us a few months to pay that back actually at the end of this year so you know, the federal business program will help with some optometrists, but not all optometrists. Those that work in certain situations don't have access to that business account uh, or business loan from the federal government. But the province has given an advance to physicians and optometrists on some of our OHIP payments. But um, that, that advance just puts us in a situation of uh, k- kicking that can down the road. And, uh, you know, we need, we need governments to, to the provincial government to look at income stability and allow practices to stay open. We don't want to see optometrists, family doctors, dentists, everyone closing their doors uh, in a situation where the government could have avoided it. Okay, uh, I'm going to take a call from Jenny, but Jenny, hi. Uh, your question has to be real quick because okay. uh, we're getting short on time here. Well, it, it basically is. I did have cataract surgery, and um, they put in just the ones for distance. Now, I, I had never worn glasses because when I was uh, nearsighted, one was far. And I'm wondering if now that I've had cataract, can I get lasers so that I won't need... I mean, I can't even read like a bank book in front of my eyes. I can't, I can't do any reading without without glasses now, is it possible to get laser once you've had cataract? Okay, I'm going to let you go, Jenny, and let Dr. Smith answer, okay? Thank you. Okay, Dr. Smith? Great question, Jenny. The answer, the simple answer is yes, it is possible. 
um, it's uh, not as simple as correcting your your distance, your vision for distance, but your vision for near can be enhanced with laser. Um, but an assessment, you need an assessment and some tests to find out if you're a candidate, if your eyes are going to be able to to take that procedure. But absolutely, uh, that's something you should t- talk to your doctor about and pursue. Okay. Well, that was uh, a fairly easy answer. So uh, <laughs> people really have to have a good think about what kind of lenses they want after cataract surgery, because uh, maybe uh, you didn't make the right choice. It's uh, sometimes you come out of it and go, I can see better, but not in the way that I wanted to. And uh, I have those conversations with my patients all the time. And it's all about finding the right tools and trying to talk ahead of time about what it's going to look like uh, given a certain choice. And that's an important conversation to have with the surgeon too. Okay. Uh, Dr. Smith, we only have mm, maybe a minute left. Uh, wh- what would you like to leave us with and what's your message to patients? Uh, my message is, you know, your optometrist will be there for you if you have eye problems and people should not hesitate to contact their doctors, especially after we are allowed to reopen. But COVID's going to make it difficult for us to see people both quickly and safely. And of course, as I said, you know, the lack of government support for eye care might mean that some practices can't reopen at all. And if they, those that do are going to do so with limited staff and limited availability for, for visits. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't call your doctor. Don't hesitate to contact your doctor's office once we're allowed to open again to ask about your case, discuss your case. And if you had an appointment that was cancelled or expecting one soon, especially that's the that's the right time to start uh, talking to your doctor and find out what the best thing is for you. Okay. Uh, and uh, thank you very much, Dr. Smith. And we wish you and your members all the best and uh, hope that really the vast, vast majority of them are able to open again and open soon. Thanks again. Thank you very much, Libby. Okay. Remember, people, Free For All Friday is coming up tomorrow, uh, especially if you couldn't get through throughout the week or if you have something uh, new to tell us about. There's uh, news coming out every day. We learned that there's going to be a full review of long-term care. Uh, we've learned about new surveys. So Free For All Friday coming up tomorrow. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.